0: We are, well, we are excited about what the Lord has done this past week. If you look in the bulletin, last week we spent Saturday and Sunday, with the week before preparing, but then Saturday and Sunday evenings, a lot of you were here uh, many hours as we did the uh, reenactment presentation. It was wonderful. It was great. Clear gospel presentation, f- nice flow to it, and then on, uh, afterwards at each one of those tours, then people were able to go to the Family Center, as you well know, and there was plenty of opportunity to be able to share the gospel. Thank you, thank you for your labors, your prayers, your participation and so it's been a busy time the last week or so with a lot of you folk being here quite a few hours being involved in that, helping to set that up, especially uh, the practices and all those things and then Tuesday night uh, we, some of you weren't able to make it, but we had a house full uh, Christmas Eve a lot of visitors with us, another opportunity to share the gospel so it's been a really really sweet time we're uh, getting into our normal flow of things this this week is kind of a real change for us as we kick off the year. We're not going to have any Wednesday night ministries, and uh, what we're doing today is just abbreviating. Since last week was so busy for families, we thought it would be wise that this week and between the holidays we would abbreviate so those of us who didn't have times with families because of all the ministries, we'd have that opportunity to do that today. And so today we're having our morning ministries, uh, but nothing this evening. Other things that are coming up in the near future, look in the bulletin. There's a variety of things that are going on, and so uh, you you can just see, sign up, plan ahead for, for a number of those things. What we're doing in our Sunday school time is we have Sunday school for all the kids and that is for the teens all the way down to whatever age. Uh, they are meeting the majority of those the elementary age as well as the teens meet in the basement. And then what we're doing for the adults, for those of you visiting with this morning <clears throat> is we are going this uh, school year, most of those months, we're going through a booklet that is called Foundations. It's a Bible's basic Bible study. It's a disciple. Uh, idea that you sit down and do a Bible study with somebody who may not even know the gospel or who's very young in the Lord, uh, a new babe, and you can work through this material. And we're taking it rather slowly, going through with the idea that if there's any within our group that has never gone through such a Bible study, we may help them out. If there are a number of us who have gone through Bible studies or who have been saved a period of time, this will help us out to be able to learn how to use this material and then we can then do those personal home Bible studies with neighbors, with uh, contacts we have, relatives, co-workers. And so we're doing a teaching training time in our Sunday school for this school year. And uh, we're doing those classes. And so what we're doing with this class, we're going to resume it this morning, where we're going to spread out around the building, is that uh, we're going to meet if you would like. You're welcome to stay here. But there are some age group classes. There's like the 20s to 30s. That's meeting up in the upstairs. There's a group that is the 30s to 40-ish. That's meeting in the Family Center. There's a group that's the 40s to 50-ish. That's meeting straight down this hallway. And if you'd like, you can go to one of those groups or you stay here because everybody else who doesn't fit one of those age brackets we're saying, just stay in the auditorium and you can put up with me. Uh, otherwise, you go and you go through the material with somebody else. If you didn't pick up one of these books and you're going to be here on a regular basis, the books are free. They're right outside the church office on the counter that's there. And so we want to split up and start doing today's lesson, which is a new lesson that we're going to spend for about the next month on baptism and communion, explaining those things and answering some questions. So if you're ready to get going, those of you who are in the elementary age, get going. You're headed for the basement. Teens and then those of you not staying in the auditorium for this class, and you're picking one of those other locations, we'll see you later. you are in the auditorium. Let's take our Bibles. Let's head to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We're going to join and we're going to get to Acts 2 and then do a number of passages. Um, what we've been doing in my group is we've been talking about this whole idea that going through now, again, for the ushers and moving through the auditorium, if you don't have a booklet or if you want a handout, write on the handout and then put it in the book, raise your hand. They're going to hand that to you at this moment. And so we've been talking about this discipleship. I hope And I trust that over the holiday season, you had an opportunity to share the gospel with anybody. We had several opportunities during the reenactment. Anybody have an opportunity to share the gospel? Pooch, you were talking to your physician. Why don't you, if you can just stand and yell real loud. You got that booming voice, I know.
1: Yeah. 623 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I said there's one more scripture that I'd like to give you, and that's Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead.
0: <laughs> he didn't, oh, he didn't treat you for nothing. Uh, we take opportunities, share the gospel. Let's do this. For the next minute or so, why don't you pray for some relative, some individual that you want to see born again. Maybe you've shared the word, you've given tracks out, you've, uh, you've uh, invited to, and they came to like the reenactment and they heard the gospel. Let's take a minute here and let's pray for individuals to get saved. Then we'll get into our lesson. You can pray quietly or with the person next to you. Feel free to have this prayer time. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we've had as an institution, as a group, to work together this last few days be able to share the gospel with many who came through the tours as well as the Christmas Eve service and many of folks who are here who are on church. And I pray that you would help us to be able to have that opportunity this week to take advantage whether it be at the doctor's office or we be at work or school or just in the, in the frequency of being in the malls or in contact with other people. Help us to be a witness for Jesus Christ help us in particular to focus on individuals that we can sit and we can talk at length and do Bible studies with as well. I pray that you would open up those doors as we have the boldness and the training to do so, to be able to teach in the days ahead. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Take your Bibles you're in Acts. I'm going to start in Acts 16. In Acts 16, we are in the fourth chapter. the fourth chapter of the material, and so the pages are listed up there that you want to join us if you're following. And again, those handouts that we gave that some of you are using, The page numbers are a little bit different because that's edition one and the booklet that many have in their hand, the hard copy, that is an edition two. But you'll be able to follow. What we're talking about in this section is baptism and communion, which are very, very important. And also, if you're sitting down and talking to somebody who has any type of church background, you and I have to remember that there are a lot of different views on what baptism is and what church, uh, what communion is. And especially, let's focus this morning on baptism. There are so many different ideas of how baptism works. There are some who would say that it's really not important. As long as you're getting to heaven without baptism, you don't need to do it. And then there are others who will say on the other side of the pendulum, who will say baptism is necessary, you can't get into heaven. And there's a whole gamut of different beliefs in between. In in some churches, the idea is you have to baptize the babies as soon as possible so that those baby sins are washed away. And then there are some groups that say we will only baptize very mature believers, those who have proven themselves over a period of time. And again, in that pendulum swing, there's all different types of views in between. Some would say baptism can be done any time, any place. Others are going to say on the other side of the pendulum that it has to be only within a certain confines that is a sanctuary, that is a uh, whatever the setting may be, the, the church setting, the religious institution, and otherwise it's not a valid baptism. There are some who would say that baptism actually washes away sin. And then there's others on the other side who would say, no, it is only a symbol, it doesn't do anything to change the individual. There are some who would say that there's a particular method, and it has to be done a certain way by water. There are others that would say, no, any, form, any idea you can do, you can do it with uh, lots of water, little bit of water. You don't even need water. You can use a little bit of dirt. I was reading one article about one church that said, we want to be more like Christ, death-bearing resurrection, so we're going to sprinkle sand on people, and that's going to be the baptism. Uh, There are some that says, okay, the baptism is valid if anybody does it with uh, any church group. There are others who would say that you have to be able to prove your line of succession, that you were baptized baptized by somebody who was baptized by somebody who was baptized by somebody who was baptized. And there are groups that claim they can take this all the way back to John the Baptist. And so there's a wide variety of ideas. You and I want to say, okay, it doesn't seem so complicated, and yet, right, you know, something so simple can have some complexities to it, even like simple mathematical issues. But for where we want to start this morning, let's just look at something. Let's just take the one, to one, one plus one. That without going into all the theorem and without going into all the explanation, let's just say, okay, what is clear in Scripture? What, what do we know that we have? And if we're going to just take the Bible verses where baptism is mentioned, where it's explained, and not add any kind, not start with a presupposition, not start with a doctrinal statement, but let the passages develop our doctrinal statement. Here's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out that number one, baptism does not save any of us. Now that's different than what I was taught. Okay. And so if I'm talking with, if somebody, if one of you were doing a Bible study with me or my family, when we first heard the gospel, you would have had to really stress this because for years we had been taught that we, that our, our original sin, you ever heard that term? Okay, original sin is washed away by baptism, but then all your other sins that you've chosen to commit, that takes other, uh, other, uh, other ways, the work of Christ, uh, your belief, your faith, then that takes care of it. And so you and I have to come to say, okay, does the Bible teach original sin is taken away by baptism? Well, it doesn't okay? It doesn't give any inclination. In Acts chapter 16, if you know the story, and we're going to jump into part of the story, this is when Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel. They are put into jail. It's at the city of Philippi. While they are in jail, do you remember what they're doing the whole night long? Especially around midnight. Okay, they're singing songs. They're singing songs of praise. And do you remember that, what happens then? All of a sudden, there's something that happens to the entire jail facility, Okay. There's that earthquake, the chains and the shackles, they fall off, and um, so the idea is that the prisoners are freed. The jailer comes running in, or actually the jailer, uh, he he comes and they see him, and what is he going to do to himself? He's going to kill himself because, the passage doesn't tell us, but we know historically, Yeah, yeah. if you're the guard and you, the prisoners get away from you, now you're responsible, you're going to suffer the consequences of capital punishment. That would be incentive to you know, keep those prisoners in prison. And so he's going to kill himself. Paul yells out, don't do yourself no harm. And the jailer comes inside the jail cell. And what does he ask? The phrase that we wish everybody would ask us. What must I do to be saved? Okay, we pick it up. Okay, and this is the point of the text. We'll come back to it later is this. Okay, they said unto him, what words? Believe. believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And so our point is, okay, you hear that the question is, what must I do to be saved? The answer that Paul gives is very simple. It is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about baptism, what, what, what do you see about baptism in that phrase? Nothing. That's the point. It's never mentioned. It's never mentioned about you getting saved via baptism. It is simply and only by belief in Jesus Christ. Now, is baptism, does it come out in the text? Yes, it does later on. Okay, after then they follow in baptism, but it's not stated at all that this is how you get saved. In fact, there are other passages that, uh, that talk about it, okay? And, and we look down a little bit further in verses 31 and 32. It talks about when they were baptized, but it says earlier that they spake the word of the Lord unto them, and that these individuals heard the word of God and responded, then they get saved. Now, here's some passages that aren't necessarily in your booklet, but I wanted to mention as well. Okay, That in the, in the phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul is writing to the church, and he's telling them about his history when he came to preach. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So he's making a distinction. He's saying, when I came to you, I wasn't focusing on baptism, but I was focusing on sharing the simple gospel. Now, does that mean that baptism is not important? No, we'll see that later on. But for people to get born again, is baptism involved in their salvation? The answer is no. No, not in them getting saved, not with the wisdom of Christ. In fact, he goes on, he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, rose again, and the third day according to the scriptures. And this is the gospel message that he talks about in Romans chapter 1. Baptism is not in there. And yet I'm going to come down later on and say baptism is important, but not for salvation. It doesn't save anyone. Let's make another fact. It doesn't wash away sins. This is critical because again, as I mentioned, some of us grew up in churches and there are a lot of people out there that if they go to, you know, you name most of the mainline denominations, that there's the idea that baptism will wash away sins. Look at this verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the baptism that we experience cleanses us from all sin? What does? It's not baptism. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. So again, we have this reiterated in scripture, salvation is by belief, is by the work of Jesus Christ, not baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 3, okay, he makes this comment, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of baptism, Is that what he says? No. By the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. According to this verse, cleansing is not by baptism or by an external religious ritual. In fact, the very first phrase says, not by the works of righteousness which... Okay, so it's not something we do that we're saved. The washing is clearly an internal spiritual cleansing, not an external dipping in the water or pouring water over somebody. And so it's an inner working of the Holy Spirit. That's what saves us, and that's what gets us born again. Baptism number three does not earn you favor with God. Okay, I'll get baptized, and then God's going to owe me. Okay, I'll get baptized, and then God, uh, God will all of a sudden, you'll favor me. Um, let, let's remind ourselves okay, that it, there is nothing that we get or do by our own good works, but we only approach God with faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and especially if you're highlighting this verse in a Bible study, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, and again the phrase, not of works lest any man should boast. Now, I don't know how you do it. What I do when I'm sitting down explaining this, I will put in, not of works lest any man should boast, I will start suggesting what type of work. Do people normally look to for salvation? And one of the first ones that most people look to is their baptism. Okay, that they were baptized as a babe or baptized later on. And so I'll put in there, not of baptism lest any man should boast. Not of knowing the Ten Commandments. Not of giving money to church. Not of uh, going to church. Not of being able to say the books in the Bible in order. Not of, not of you know, dressing a certain way. So at the highlight of the scriptures is we are saved by faith. It's a work of God, not something we do. If you were going to give a, a real simple description or definition of grace, what would you give? Any any of you know the anachronism here? Okay. What is it? God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay. And so it's that idea that God does something to us that we don't deserve. Mercy is he holds back what we do deserve. Grace is he gives us something we don't deserve. And so we want to then continue in this thought, in the Bible study, you've, you've, as you've taught somebody in these first few minutes, you've reiterated what's been in chapter 1, what's been in chapter 2 of the material. You've reiterated that, self, that baptism has no role or any part of their being born again. Their, their salvation experience is by faith, by grace. It is not baptism. But that leads us to this question. Is baptism important? Is it mentioned in the Bible? Who should get baptized? Uh, Why should somebody get baptized? So let's start going through that, okay? We don't get baptized to get to heaven. We don't get baptized, and by the way, if you want a classic illustration, who is it? Not baptized, but we know that they went to heaven. The thief on the cross. Okay, thief on the cross. Excellent illustration. And so you're reiterating that with somebody. You're, you're sharing that with them. But you've got to answer this question. Is baptism valid? Is there something about why should we do it? So we would go and say, okay, here's what is true. And the Bible clearly states this. Baptism is commanded in Scripture. Okay? And again, there are some believers, you know, maybe somebody sitting here today says, well, I don't believe that. Well, we're taking the simple Bible verses and we're going to show you that this is what the scriptures teach, that baptism is commanded. Watch this verse. It says, "Repent." this is when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and there are all the Jews and they, they are listening to his message and and then they say to Peter, uh, good sirs, what must we do? Okay, if we've condemned Christ, then how do we go back to Acts chapter 2? And you may want to mark your Bible. If you haven't done this, I want you to mark one word in this verse. That'll help you in the future to explain it. Then he, they said in verse 37, When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter responds, and he makes this comment, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, when you first look at that verse, let's ask, answer a couple questions. Two commands, two imperatives, what are they, in Peter's response? Repent. Be baptized. Okay, those are two commands. Okay, that he gives them right away. So he brings baptism up. Okay, there's no doubt that there's a validity here about the baptism, but it's in the order of what he says. Now, here's where some people have a problem with this passage and they say, Hey, wait a minute. Wayne, you've just said that baptism doesn't have anything to do with salvation. But according to this verse, it kind of looks like you have to be baptized so that you get the remission of sins. Okay? Repent he says to them and be baptized now remember in their society did they understand baptism was it something that the people knew about a practice let me put it that way was baptism a practice that the jews knew about they did they did okay and so this baptism wasn't something that was strange to them they had they had already many of them had responded to john's baptism there was these baptisms that they did in groups that uh, the the cloistered groups that would do them. And so sometimes in the rituals, there was this ritual uh, idea. And so baptism, what he says he's in this passage, he's not talking to something that they didn't have any concept with. But what he's talking about is he's saying something that you know about, but we're going to make a different connotation to it. And so he says, you need to repent. And then this baptism becomes a public expression of what you've done, a public profession. And he makes the, the, the comment in this verse about having the remission of sins. And I want you to catch a word. The word is the ice in the original, and it's the word for, okay? Sometimes we can use, I want baptism for the remission of sins, giving the idea that in order to have the remission, I need the baptism. That's, that's sometimes the way FOR works. Yes? That it is for the purpose of. It is for, you know, the instrument of. But that isn't always the times that FOR is always defined. Sometimes the FOR, the for, the ice, cannot be for the purpose of or the instrument. Sometimes it's result it's the result of something happening, okay? Or because of? Let, let me see if I can illustrate it. Wanted, dead or alive, for the high crime of stealing the bank. Does that mean that whoever's pictures that that is, they are wanted so that we can hire them to rob a bank? Is that the for? No. What's the for? Because of something that's already happened, something that's happened in the past, okay? So it's not instrumental. It's causal. It's, you know, for, because of, not so they can do it. And that's the same thing in the original language. Repent and be baptized because of the remission of sins. And that fits so many different scriptures. That we'll see as we flow through the rest of the passage. Like in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10 verse 48. And he, it's uh, Peter, uh, it should be a small h. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now this is Peter speaking to Cornelius. He's gone there, he's preached. Cornelius and his household that Peter's gone to. There's something different about those people from Peter. Do you remember what it is? Peter and these people have something not in common. They're Gentiles. Okay, this is one of those transitional uh, stories that the gospel is now being being taken, not just to the Jews, but all of a sudden, starting in chapter 8, God sent, allowed the persecution to come because the believers have been told to go and preach the gospel. Where? To the whole world, but where were they staying? All the activity in, the, in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 was Where? in Jerusalem. They weren't spreading out. So in Acts chapter 8, persecution comes, which causes many of the believers to flee from Jerusalem. And when they leave Jerusalem, they take with them the gospel. And so then chapter 9, you get the story of of, uh, them taking, Acts chapter 8, excuse me, taking the gospel up to the Samaritans. Then we have the story in chapter 9 and 10 that Peter is at a home of a gentleman and he sees a vision. And in this vision, there's a sheet that comes out and there's all kinds of animals on this sheet. And God says to Peter, "Eat of these animals." And Peter's response is, "I won't eat because they're not clean animals." He's hanging on to his Jewishness. He's hanging on and God says, "What I have called clean, don't you call unclean?" and so this whole uh, this this is all giving the preparation for the disciples to realize we need to take the gospel to the non-jews and right after that vision comes, there's a knock at the door, and it's a messenger that says, Peter, come to, uh, to my house. I'm a Gentile. Come and share the gospel with me. And Peter and his friends go, and they share the gospel. And when they share the gospel, and it's an interesting story that we're going to come back to in a few minutes. But if you flip over there, there's, we'll, we'll just hit it right now. In Acts chapter 10, look at the, the end of the story. In verse 44, While Peter yet spake the words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard them, That is falling upon the Gentiles okay and this is so new this is so unusual for Peter and remember the friends that are with him they all have Jewish background and they of the circumcision who's that okay Jewish those who are Jewish but believed what's their response when they see the Holy Ghost on these people they're astonished, as many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they hear it, there's, a, there's an outward expression, the speaking of the tongues, that was very valid at that moment, at that time. And Peter answers and says to his friends, can we forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them. That is, then he turns to Cornelius and he doesn't say, hey, this is something you ought to do. Maybe I suggest it. He is commanding them as being led by the spirit that I command you to be baptized because it is very important for you to be baptized. It doesn't save you, but it is your Outward expressions, we'll see in a moment, that you have been saved. And so, this is a very critical moment in church history. This is a pivotal story that there is this transition that not only did Peter command the Jews to make a public profession of Jesus Christ by baptism, but now he's commanding Gentiles be, to do the same thing, to adopt this, you know pre, this past practice that was very Jewish, but you adopt this baptism with the idea of professing your faith in Christ. So we have in Scripture that it's commanded, okay, that it is something that is not optional for the believers. As the New Testament is being developed, this practice of baptism is a command by God Almighty that you and I are to follow. So you're sharing that with somebody, but you want to reinforce that idea. Let's go back to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. You all are familiar with this. Jesus is giving the great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. Okay, now let's let's answer a couple of thoughts here. Okay, Jesus has said, While you are going, that's literally the command in the verse is not go. That's an assumption in the original language. So while you are going, he says, here's what I'm commanding you to do. What are the three things he commands believers who are going? What's he commanding them to do? Teach. Okay. Baptize. Baptize. What do you think the other one is? The second teach. Teaching them all things. Okay. So go ye therefore, the word teach in the, origi- in the uh, English right there, Okay, that first teach is make disciples. Okay, it's uh, very clear. It's different than the second teaching in the verse. So make disciples of all nations. That's your first command. Second command is baptizing those disciples. The third command is then instructing them. Okay, instructing them in all things. So you have those three different, different commands given in the passage. Okay, very clearly. Um, does baptism save people? I'm going to ask this in that Bible study. Does baptism save? No, No, it doesn't. But is it something that's supposed to be done? By the command of Jesus Christ, let's, let's think this through, okay? Baptism is important to Jesus. Although it doesn't save an individual, neither does somebody learning. Let me back up and make the comparison. Learning all things... Learning the commands of Christ, does that make you, does that get you saved? No, no. Learning, learning how to pray, does that get you saved? Learning how to, how to pray, the, the, you know, like the Lord's Prayer, does that save anybody? Does it save somebody learning the principles of giving? No. Does it save learning to forgive others? No. But are those important lessons to learn and to practice after we're saved? And the answer is yes. Okay. So making disciples is the implication of making disciples is, okay, we want to get people who are following Christ of all nations to making disciples is initiating a gospel message. Okay. You're giving them the gospel And as they respond to the gospel, you baptize them and you teach them. So just as teaching doesn't get some learning, doesn't get somebody saved, neither does baptism. But that doesn't mean learning isn't important. It doesn't mean baptism isn't important after being saved. And so Jesus in this passage is commanding that the baptism is supposed to be done at some time in that process of an individual getting saved and growing and becoming a follower of his. Baptism is important. Baptism, therefore, is not something we are to ignore or minimize. Okay. Let's just do this. Let's just get everybody saved and just, you know, as long as people are getting saved, that's okay, that's good. You and I would be excited that people are getting saved, but are we making and completing the discipleship task? The answer is no, because once we get somebody saved, let's go back to this silly illustration. Your kid got born. They didn't let you leave him in the hospital, Right? The expectation was you're supposed to take them home. Now, you may want to take them back at some time. okay? But they're yours and they're your responsibility now to help them not to be birthed again, but what are you going to help them to do? To grow. Okay, that's what disciple making is. It starts with getting them to where they know that they're born again by faith, but then we're supposed to help them to grow. And in the commands of Christ, what's one of the very first steps that somebody does in their spiritual growth? Baptism. Baptism. It's one of the repent and then be... Baptized. And he commanded them after they had responded and shown that they believed and the Holy Ghost fell upon them. Things that, that they didn't create. What was the first thing Peter tells those disciples to do? Get baptized, okay? And so baptism is important. He commanded all disciples. This, this is critical for you and me. Ba- Jesus commanded all disciple makers to include getting others baptized as part of your mission. Think that through. Let it digest, Okay. If we're making disciples, we have got to be encouraging and teaching people that we lead to the Lord to follow in in professing Christ as their personal Savior. Although baptism is not a part of our salvation, it is a part of the process of becoming a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Can somebody be a true ongoing follower of Jesus Christ and not be baptized? Not the way I said it, you can't. Can somebody be a true ongoing disciple, okay, that is a maturing disciple and refuse to be baptized? No, they can't. You can't. Can they be, can they be born again? Yes. Okay. So what happens? Let's take a step further. Identifies you with Jesus Christ. Now, now, again, we're putting this all together. You're explaining this. And you're praying by the grace of God you can get through all the material so as to not leave confusion. Okay. Identify with Christ. Uh, let, let's remind ourselves. Let's remind ourselves. Okay. Baptism, what did it mean back then? Today, if you throw the word out baptism, what do people think it means? Sprinkling for babies are right away. Okay, let's go back and let's say, okay, what was the word back when the Bible was being put together and words were being chosen? What did those words mean at that time? Um, This is, the, the, the word perfect shows up frequently in the New Testament. Okay, back in Bible days, what did the word perfect mean or could mean? Okay, maturing maturing. Okay, today when we say perfect, it's almost like sinless. Okay, back in, in the days of when words were being used at that time. Uh, the words change in our culture. Okay, right? Cell phone 40 years ago meant what? A prison phone, right? True? Okay, words change. So don't, don't you, you, and this is the battle you and I have with, with understanding. We, we sometimes take modern day understanding of words and we infuse that on past days. Modern days, baptism, for most people can mean, well, I'll, I'll give you a broad one. Let, let, here, let me do this one. Modern day Christian could be anybody who basically, yeah, goes to church, you know, some type of you know, Christian, you know, Christian or Jewish or Muslim. Okay, Bible term of Christian meant real, real uh, a, follow, a believer, follower of Jesus Christ in a personal way. Baptism today kind of means, you know, anything. Back in Bible days, what did the word mean? Okay, Here, to understand that, let's do this. Okay, the word that is translated for baptism in the New Testament is the original word in the original language was baptizo. Okay, it's a different word than nipto and rantizo. Nipto and rantizo were Greek words, one of them like this, spritzing with water, Okay or pouring with water, those were different words. They were nipto rantidzo. Baptizo was a unique word in in Bible days. But when translating, and I'm, I'm going to mix this up a little bit, when translating from the Greek to the English, what happened in the Middle Ages when they translated it, that there was kings and authorities that were going to pay for the translations, and the translators had a, had a dilemma. Okay? If they don't translate something that the authorities like, could they be in trouble? Yeah, yeah. Your publisher is paying for it. If you don't translate the way he likes, it may not get published. Okay. And so the church of that day, the mainline churches that that were basically teaching, they were teaching that baptism was by sprinkling the babies. And so the Greek scholars who were translating into English, they had they had a dilemma. If we put the word, what would be the clearest singular word that would describe biblical baptism? Immersion, putting down under. If we put that in, that goes against the church's practice and it goes against the authorities over us. So what we will do is we will transliterate and make a new English word. And then you, whoever the reader is, you can basically interpret it however you want the application. Okay, and 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 folk you know we can't deny that this is a historical fact this is what happened but at the same time were they trying to be true to the original language they were trying to in a situation where there would have been persecution and finances and and does money does money even operate within church confines okay and so they created a new english word and the word became bap T-I-S-M, because the Greek letters to just trying to match them up. And so they didn't clarify. And then over a period of time, whoever reads the word baptism, they put their denominational stamp of saying it's by dipping, or it's by pouring, or it's by whatever. And it came to all of a sudden be multiple different ideas of baptism. However, if we go back to the original words, Baptizo can only mean and only meant putting under. Rantizo, nipto, those are two totally different words. But that's what happened. And so baptism baptism became baptism and the readers could assume the form that they wanted. Now let's you and me we're taking a new convert. Most everybody that you'll run into who is just a baby the Lord have no idea what we just explained. And so you're going to take them and you're going to explain that in the original time that the Bible was written, there was the word baptize, was the word baptizo. One of the ancient writers, just to give you, you can look this up, you can find multiple illustrations. The talked about pickling vegetables. You know, soaking them, any of you do canning? Okay, so you put him in, and you seal it, and he called it baptizing the pickle. Okay? And he writes about it. He understood the word. Because, by the way, um, Nicander would understand why why baptizo meant to submerge, because... Do, do, you see, do you see his description? Don't worry about the poet, and don't worry about the doctor. He's Greek. So he understands... He understands Greek words, okay. And so the Greek word there is baptizo. Now we come to the New Testament uh, era, and baptizo again. It it had the idea, and you can find writings about this. Go on the internet; you can find the information. It's there. It's it's uh, where you know this isn't created because of our church position. This is you know let the let the scriptures determine our church position. Baptism was often used in okay, at somebody who was dying. Cloth. You would baptize submerge the cloth and what would happen? The dye would get into the material and that would become all of a sudden that color, to change the color. So here's what we've got. When you were saved, you were placed into Jesus Christ so that you and he are spiritually united. We talked about this, yes? Okay. Do you remember? Please tell me you remember. Okay. One of the things that happens when you get saved, you become uh, there's two words. In Christ. Okay, that you're united to Jesus Christ, how you and I can illustrate that, how you and I can totally define that. It's just a spiritual relationship developed and tied to Christ that is unlike anything else. You are in Christ. He's in you, you in him. There's this connection between you. Okay, and that's a spiritual connection. So the work of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for as many of you has been baptized into Christ, in other words, somebody else put you together with Christ. Who did that? Who did the spiritual work that when you called upon Christ as your Savior, um, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be? Okay, at that moment that somebody calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. What is happening in the spiritual realm to that person? The Holy Spirit is placing them in a unique relationship with Christ that Christ and them become one. Okay, they become in Christ. That's what this verse is talking about. For as many as you have been, he's not talking then a water church baptism. He's talking what type of baptism? Something that's happening, spiritual realm. Okay, the baptism, that this baptism is done to you. Okay, it's not something you do. It's something that, the Spirit is done to you. It's a spiritual baptism. And it is done to how many believers? All. Okay. So there are some verses where we read about baptism. We have to identify, is it a spiritual baptism? Is it a water baptism? And there is a distinction. Okay. Because the spiritual baptism happens to all believers okay, that everyone, this baptism happens at the moment that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is an important distinction. And something that may be some of you who are going to do a Bible study, you need to just think this through a little bit. Make sure you write down some of this material if it's not in your notes already. Spirit baptism takes place at the moment of your salvation. Spirit baptism, you're immersed into Jesus Christ, there's a spiritual union, and it becomes permanent that you are joined to Jesus Christ. It is an inward reality, it is something that you don't, you know, when it it happened, those of you who understand this, when you got spirit baptized, Did you look like that wet person that just got up out of a tub? No, it was all done internally, inwardly, okay? And water baptism, it takes place following your salvation. It comes after Peter says to them, hey, they've got the Holy Spirit upon them. Can we forbid water that they should not be baptized? Now, this is the water baptism. It is different in that you are immersed into water as a picture of of what Christ and you are like that you and he are united together and what he has done it is an outward symbol it is a physical act that you do okay that is that is something you accomplish by getting baptized and making a profession of faith let's take this a little bit further Romans chapter 1 uh, Romans chapter 6. This is an extensive verse and some of this gets a little bit complicated, but since you are more mature and you're doing Bible studies and you've got much better Bible knowledge, this should not be any complication for you folk. Romans chapter 6. You've got to go there and follow along. The setting is critical. In Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The response? No. No. In other words... In other words, those who accuse us that we say once saved, always saved. They say that that's a terrible doctrine, that when you accept Christ, you have a permanent, ongoing, everlasting relationship with him because you're encouraging people to go out and sin. Well, Paul writes and says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Strongest way he could do it. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we should also Uh, so we also should walk in newness of life for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that this, our old man is crucified with him. And so he goes on, he talks a little bit more. Okay. Um, he's talking in this passage about spiritual links between us and Christ. The spiritual links are very, very clear that uh, the link with what happened to Christ happens to us in the spiritual realm. We died to sin, we're raised to walk in newness of life. That happens when he got born again, okay? Uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a, okay, that's this whole concept here. And just as Jesus Christ walked in newness of life, we are too, okay? Then we will not live in a lifestyle. And this is the critical point of this text, the critical point of the text is not living in sin any longer. It is not, not uh, you know, I, I, I'll take you back to, to my religious upbringing. My religious upbringing is you come and you do whatever spiritual rituals there were. You come and do a confession. You come and do a communion. You come and do a baptism. And when you do that, you get your sins forgiven. And then what can you do right after you go to church and do those things? You can go out and, yeah, do whatever you want. Because next Sunday we can come back and repeat the ritual. Okay? And the ritual, we, we put our faith in the ritual that it would take away our sin. And he is saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way you're supposed to live. If you are professing and practicing true Christianity, you put your faith in Christ. When you get, put your faith in Christ that he, that he saves you and cleanses you, you don't want to live in sin because Christ is living in you. Okay, And so now we want to live for the Lord. And that, that's all because this spiritual association, like Christ buried and died and resurrected, and there was newness of life. So, you know, I, I want to have newness of life. I want to portray those types of things. Baptism, the water baptism, is a profession of what happened to you spiritually. It is a picture of, hey, Jesus Christ died, buried, resurrected. Resurrected. And to newness of life. And this is what I'm portraying. I have died to sin, and I'm going to walk in. Okay, that's what you're picturing. It's a public declaration of saying, I'm different. I'm changed. I'm a follower of Christ. No wonder Peter told them, I command you Jews to be baptized After your sins have been forgiven. Because you're declaring your association with who? Jesus Christ whom you have crucified. Remember that whole message of Acts 2? That you people have rejected. Now profess your faith in him. Put your faith and publicly declare, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. No wonder Peter tells the Gentiles. You who have had that work of the Holy Spirit inside and it's, it's showing. Now publicly declare your association with the, with the work of Jesus Christ. That he died, buried and resurrected. You have died to the old beliefs, the old ways. You're going to walk in newness of life. And so he's commanding those things. This, this isn't a complex practice, but there is some complexity to it. So let, let's take a little bit of a complexity of what baptism is to make a summary statement. Baptism, okay, is basically, a, it's saying this is what I believe in an outward act. It is in an outward act showing my faith in Jesus Christ. It's an outward profession of my faith in Jesus Christ. It is a confession by my being put under the water. I am confessing that my sins I had done and they were taken away by Jesus Christ. They were washed away by the work of the Holy Spirit. Not by baptism, but I'm I'm saying that the Holy Spirit washed away my sins and I've repented. Baptism is a reminder that Jesus Christ humiliated himself humbled himself gave for me gave up so much by allowing himself to die bury and resurrected so all of this is when i'm when i'm simply standing and allowing myself to be baptized to show what happened in me i am saying this this is what Christ has done. This is he humbled himself. He died, he buried. I believe that I am a sinner and my sins had to be washed away by the work of Christ. I'm proclaiming my faith in Jesus Christ. I am saying I'm different. I am different. I have changed. I, I'm not doing the same things that I used to do. And I'm going to mark this difference between those that I used to hang around with or do that I am declaring I'm a follower of Christ, that I am different than what I was in the past. It's a transition to, from an old way of life to a new way of life because I am showing that as I come up out of the water, I am determined to walk in the Newness of life. It is a, rad, a step of a radical obedience where I'm renouncing the past and I'm committing to a future of serving Jesus Christ. By the way, the picture that I'm, I'm claiming, the promise I'm claiming is just as Christ was resurrected, one day I'm going to be resurrected as well so it's a preview of my future my belief in a future bodily resurrection all of this is there all of this is in the complexity of of submitting to a biblical baptism i'm portraying all this i didn't understand that when i got baptized but i did understand this to be obedient, I needed to profess that Christ has done so much for me and now I want to do so much for him. That my sins are, are forgiven by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and I'm going to walk in newness of life. But behind all of that, this is there. This is there. This is part of that whole idea. And so baptism is a public testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that you have exercised maybe a day before, hours before, weeks before, months before, whatever it may be. And we're going to explore some passages to get an idea. How do we know about this public testimony? But I've got to stop so we can get ready for worship service. Thanks for listening. Let's pick up next week. Okay, Wake that person up next to you. Tell him he's done.